you all's brotherhood and the finding of a building. Um, I think that was just quite exciting as God opened those doors through the twists and turns along the way. Thoughts and prayers with you as you continue the process of preparing for that. If you turn with me to Romans chapter uh, Romans Romans chapter one, maybe we'll, it's not where we're looking. We're looking at the book of Romans. As Brother Lamar was sharing on brotherhood and uh, particularly and pertaining when brotherhood gets practical, like a like a building project, it took me back uh, to soon after I was ordained. Millmont went through uh, uh, remodeling. We remodeled the the church almost completely inside and out. I know how many of you were there for that. I was a young, uh, young ordained, and the, the committee or trustees in charge of that uh, come to the point of painting. He was complaining about painting walls, and I distinctly remember a green color that was suggested as taking the entire entirety, if I or maybe it was a portion of the inside and painting it green. And I remember the deep reaction that, that happened in my heart. It just, I just could not imagine having a green sanctuary. Uh, it really bothered me. And uh, unfortunately, I, I think I did let it be known to whoever that, you know, I, I wasn't really fond of the idea. And Brother Jonathan Bishop at the time saying, you know, he don't really care. He said, it's, it's not my, part of my domain as a, as a preacher. He said, they can paint it pink for all I care. <laughs> and uh, I wasn't there. And we, we worked through it. And it ended up getting painting white. And hopefully not all because of my opinion. But in years since then, I regret that. As a leader of God's people, I said, you know, um, it wasn't really my responsibility what color the walls are. And I don't think there's a verse in the Bible that does not support green walls. And it was, just, it was really real to me. And uh, it hurt, as Lamar talks about this morning, as I think about just the carnality in my heart. And it's still there. I, I know. If somebody wanted to paint them green today, I'd have to swallow long and hard. Anyhow, Lord bless you as you work through this, because these things are real. This isn't, you know, this isn't not, it's, it, you feel it way down in here. And you got to deal with it down to that. And you literally have to lay down your life. It just... Wow, so I'm just bearing my heart how real it is. And Lord, help us to, uh, to respond correctly. Lord, bless you all as you work through that. So, uh, just not green. Um, <laughs> all right, let's see, are you, are you in Romans? Uh, I've been preaching through the book of Romans and uh, really been challenging in my life. It's been hard for me, but very, very good to study it. The first five chapters here are may we say, like kind of the basic principles of the Christian life, the, the foundation, um, the word justification, what, what Jesus has done, first of all, the condition of man, our sinful state, he establishes in, in Romans chapters 1, 2, and into 3, looking at both the Gentile world and the Jewish world, looking at the, the pagan and the religious and concluding that all are under sin, that everyone, no one is righteous before God. In chapter 1, verse 16, he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation 
to everyone that believeth to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And that is the, the theme of Romans. That is the passion from which he is speaking from. That he believes that the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, is, the, is what is going to make the difference in this world. To everyone. To those who see themselves as good and to those who do not. To every human being on this planet. Paul is passionate about that. In chapter uh, 1, we see that list of the depravity that sin has brought down into man. Chapter 2 and 3, we see the hypocrisy of the Jew as they lift themselves up and look down at others. And he says, no, you're guilty as well. Finally, in chapter 3, verse 21, he comes to the conclusion, he comes to the solution. But now the righteousness of God... It's not the righteousness of man. It's not what the good works that we have accomplished, but rather it's the righteousness of God that has been revealed through Jesus Christ that makes a difference, and that is our only hope. And that uh, it is the blood of Jesus that is key in providing the solution. But it's the faith of mankind. It is Faith is another big part of this. It is our, our willingness to believe, to agree with God, that gives us access to the righteousness of God in Jesus Christ. Chapter 4, he continues establishing the thought of faith as he um, compares the life of Abraham and says, you know, Abraham, the Jews would look at him as, a, uh, as their father. And he made the point that Abraham's faith was established before he was circumcised, before he kept the law, before the law. And that um, it was when God had promised him children as the stars of the heaven, and Abraham believed that God's word was true, that God counted to him for righteousness. And his point is, is that righteousness is obtained through that faith, through the believing in the promises of God, which releases the power of God into our lives. It is important that we understand, as we talk about things, that we are talking about justification, not sanctification. Justification has everything to do with our standing before God. Not so much to do with, with the daily um, work, the daily obedience uh, in, in our heart. And that he will work on in chapters 6, 7, and into 8. So don't. sometimes we, we hear terminology and we're talking about justification and it feels like we're way off base. But we, we have to understand there is, there is these different... Um, angles in the Christian life. But it's very important that whether you this morning are born again or whether you're not, whether you are a confident Christian or whether you are a struggling Christian, that you understand what the Bible says about your standing before a holy God. Who are you before God? And what is that standing based upon? Where is the confidence of your Christian life founded upon? Is it founded on your own performance or is it founded upon Jesus Christ alone? I feel you at Word of Hope here are blessed because we're going to jump right into chapter 5 which is the conclusion of all these chapters and you didn't have to listen to the six sermons or so I already preached and I think this chapter is just wrapping everything up that Paul has been leading up to in the first four chapters of Romans. So Romans chapter 5 will be the text this morning and uh 
I'm really excited about this. Some of these earlier messages really, I found it a real struggle to understand and even to relate. This chapter is powerful. It is beautiful. It has so many verses I think you all will be familiar with. And um, there's just so much here that I found a joy studying and I hope will make sense sharing. Let's start in uh, Romans chapter 1. I do want to give credit before I start to Harold Martin and his commentary on Romans. It's been a great help to me as I continued studying through this book. 5.1 Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope. And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. Starts out, and we're going to start here, is how to be made right with God. How do we get to the point to be able to experience, my title, the benefits of justification? Verse 1, he starts right there, therefore being justified by faith. Faith in Jesus is key. Now, that seems so very basic, but yet it's very big. That's what he's been establishing to this point. There's a couple things that are critical. Is where is the where is your faith in? Where is your hope placed in? Is it placed in what? Well, if he says your your faith needs to be in Jesus Christ, but it needs to have faith. What is faith? Thought about that as I studied through chapter four. I like to look at faith as simply agreeing with God that what He says is true. When Abraham got to the point where God said, "Your your descendants are going to be like the stars of the heaven," even though that seemed like such an impossibility since he had no son at that time, in his heart he agreed that in the character of God that was going to be possible. He believed God. He had faith that what God said was true. When we, as a sinner, first of all, the first step that needs to happen is we need to agree with God that we are lost, that we are a sinner, that we have no chance of making it to heaven on our own. And once we reach that point, we also need to understand and believe and agree with God that our only hope is through Jesus Christ, that He is the one, He is the provision that has been given for our salvation. And so in my heart, when I agree with God that I am in need of a Savior and that He has sent that Savior, Jesus Christ, that is the moment I'm saved. That is the moment that I believe. That is the moment that that grace is released into my life. A miracle happens. The miracle of justification The moment before I believed, I was in a standing before God as a sinner. I was living under his condemnation of wrath because I had broken his holy law. Even by the very character of of my birth, I was a son of Adam with a stain of sin upon me. 
and by the very character of my actions, I had committed sin and I'd have offended a holy God, and I was no condition to stand before Him. But at the moment that my heart lifted upon Jesus Christ and I believed that He was the answer to my sin problem, a miracle occurred, and I went from the from the standing of a sinner condemned immediately to the standing of a child of God justified. The moment before I had a host of sin and a sin nature before God that was held against me, that condemned me, after the miracle of justification, that was all wiped away, and I was just as if I had never sinned. Gone, clean, guiltless before God. By what I had done? No. By nothing, no merits of my own. But because of the precious blood of Jesus had washed my sins away. So today, if you want to be right with God, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. I don't care who you are and what you've done. But that is the miracle. That is the way. That is something to get excited about. That is the first benefit of justification. And then he goes into, he says, we've been justified, just as if we had never sinned, and we have peace with God. Now, instead of living under the wrath of God and under his condemnation and under a coming judgment, we have come to terms with him. We are at peace with him. We no longer have to fear Him because we are in a right relationship with Him. And this is the foundation of our Christian experience because we know down deep beneath everything, at the very core of our hearts, no matter all the troubles around us, we'll get into that a little bit later, that I'm at peace with God. I'm right with God. In contrast, if we look at the sinful world around us, as they chase riches, and they chase fame, and they chase pleasure. And they may obtain most of those, riches, fame, and pleasure. But the problem is at their very core, what is missing? They do not have peace, because they are not right with God, and they know they're not right with God, no matter what they may believe and what they may say believe. Once they're in the foxhole experience, they know that they are not at peace with God. Everything else is just a, a cover up because deep down in, they do not have the hope of eternal life. But if you are born again this morning, we know we are saved and we know that if we die today, we go to heaven to be with Jesus, not because I'm such a perfect person, because Jesus has died for my sins and he has made me just as if I had never sinned. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Verse 2. By whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. How do you view yourself as a Christian and your standing before a holy God? This word, by whom also we have access, that Greek word access only found two other times in the New Testament. I think it's worth our time to go turn to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 18. For through him we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. 
Now he adds the spirit, that the spirit is involved in this access to the Father. Chapter 3, verse 12. In whom we have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of him. Boldness, access, confidence. Why? By the, or how? By the faith of him. By that faith in Jesus Christ. We have that boldness. We have that access. In Back to Romans 5.2, it says, Wherein we stand. Again, the faith, the grace, but that picture of standing, of, of a position. What is my position with God? What is my view of my position with God? I think what I believe is teaching here that, uh, that we can approach the throne of God with joy and we can approach it with confidence. Whether you are a confident um, you view yourself as a really good Christian or you view yourself as a struggling Christian. You know, either one of us, some of us are more confident by nature, right, Phil? At least we appear to men so. It's not always so true in our hearts. And some of us aren't very confident at all. Right, Mike? We struggle feeling it. But let's say Phil and I are as confident as we appear sometimes, and we come before God on our own confidence. It's not really what we should be confident about. A brother Mike, who sometimes doesn't feel confident at all, and he comes to God on his lack of confidence, it's not really the deal. That's not what it's talking about. It's not talking about you and I's confidence. In fact, that's part of the problem. He's saying our confidence is based on what? It's based by our faith in Jesus Christ. And we come before God not because of who we are or who I am or who I think I am, but I come to God with boldness because I know Jesus Christ and he's his son and Jesus Christ has given me free access into the throne room of God. Just as if my son would have the opportunity to be the friends of a famous person's son. And I was trying to think of someone. Biden doesn't fit him very well. He's too old. Anyhow, you get the idea. We get a famous person. And if my son had the privilege of being good friends with his son, would he not be welcome in the home of his dad. Why? Because he knows the famous person? No, but because he knows his son. And I think that is a, a good comparison to the um, privilege we have of entering the throne room of God because of a relationship with Jesus Christ. The New Living Translation says, verse 2, like this, Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into a place of undeserved privilege where we now stand. And we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. What is your position with Christ? It's an amazing position. It's a, it's a tremendous privilege because of what Jesus has done for us. We can share in the glory of God. Verses 3 through 5 um, give the context of this peace and joy. So, it, maybe we would feel like if we would now have this amazing relationship with God, our life would be trouble-free. But Paul very quickly points out here that indeed it's not. In fact, the beauty of the Christian life is not evidenced in a trouble-free life, but rather in the midst of troubles, in the midst of difficulties. That out of these tribulations, it brings out that patience and that experience and that hope and that hope is not disappointed, it's not ashamed, because 
of what's happening in our hearts as the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. The, 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 the troubles in our lives are, the, are what? What display the glory of God. They display the love of God. It reveals it. It reveals that there's something deeper than our own resources there. See, when everything's going well, we kind of think we've got this together, right? We can handle this. It's when life falls apart when we realize that we don't have enough. And we realize that despite all the troubles, God is still there. And he's, his love is still real. So let's take a lesson out of that. As Christians, I think sometimes we make the mistake to seek a trouble-free life. That if our lives really truly would be just right and nothing would go wrong, we could be really happy. And that is a mistake. That's not the life that God has called us to. He has called us to a bold life, to a passionate life for him, to a risky life. Because we know as we go forth in obedience that he is always with us and that he will help us through the tough times. I had to think of, of um, three of our boys there from Millmont, Jeremy King, um, Daryl Hoover, and Brandon Hosteller went to Greece for three months. And I think they're getting stretched. I know they're getting stretched. I just talked to one of them last evening, and they are seeing things, doing things I'm sure they never have done before, uh, being opened up to um, what really happens out there sometimes in the, in the difficulties of this world. And I trust that through that, they will grow in their Christian walk. And we'll challenge each one of us to, to, um, to be bold and, and not shy away from the troubles of life, but trust and believe that God will be there in the midst of those troubles. Let us move on through verses 6 through 11. We want to study... Um, what Jesus did for us. So now we're kind of going back and looking at maybe some of the work, the workings of the salvation experience. For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet prayer venture for a good man, some would even dare to die. But God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only so, but he will also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. First he starts out in the condition that Christ came for. He came to us. He came to mankind when we were yet without strength. The NLT says utterly helpless. That is when Christ died for us. He came to mankind in a position that we could do nothing for ourselves. Completely needy before God. What what, that is the condition of mankind today. That is the condition of lost men. Is that without strength, helpless state. doesn't matter what your 
everything around you, what you act like, or what your opinion is. But that is the condition you're in. That lost condition. And God looked down upon mankind, and he had love in his heart, for God so loved the world. He had compassion in his heart. That he, that he uh, yearned to rescue us from our, our dead condition. And he did that by sending Jesus Christ, his son, who died for us. He didn't do this because we were so good. He didn't do this because we were so righteous. But he did it when we were sinners. He died for us. And then verse 9, he says, much more than. So first he says, being now justified by his blood. So I trust there are many here that consider themselves justified by the blood of Jesus. Made right with God. I believe he's speaking to us. He's saying much more than you are justified by his blood. You will be saved from wrath through him. And he continues this reasoning for if when we were enemies, God, we were reconciled to God by the death of his sons, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And he's talking about this coming day of wrath. So, he's painting a picture here of, of these sinners, spiritually dead, whom God had loved for, who sent his only son. Now those sinners respond to that love and they become justified. So their status from, changes from a dead sinner to someone spiritually alive, Right? Says, no longer are you that status. Now you are, you're, a, you're saved. You have changed. Now he says, now God is not looking at a dead sinner. He's looking at a saved saint. And there's something greater going to happen. There's a much more going to happen. If God had that kind of love for a lost sinner, how much more will he love the one he has just saved. I hope I'm, uh, I believe I'm right in my conclusions here. I really want to, I, I, I want to bring a point here then. Because I think sometimes we understand our need as sinners to be saved. We understand our sin who separates us from a holy God. And so we receive Christ as our Savior and we understand that our old sins have been washed away. We say, thank you, Jesus. Then we grab a hold of our boots and say, all right, now I'm going to be a good person on my own. You know, look what God has done for me and I just, I'm going to have to do it my level best. Right? And how does that work out for you? Doesn't work out very good for me. And I believe that what God is saying here is that his power, his, the, the blood of Jesus doesn't stop the moment you're saved. Rather, it continues, and his desire to get you through to heaven is much more. 
it's much greater. His power will be able to carry us through. We shall be saved by his life from that coming wrath. Much more, indeed, it is possible. Do you believe in the continuing work of Christ in your life? Is Jesus going to stay with us the whole way? Is he with you today? Okay, so like I said, we're talking about justification, not about sanctification. But I want to challenge us is that in this passage, the importance is that we focus on what God has done through Jesus Christ. If you're a confident Christian and you think you're pretty good, this is for you. If you are a struggling Christian and you think you're just awful and you don't know how you're going to make it, this is for you. If you're the confident Christian, you better stop thinking about how confident and good you are and start thinking about really how awful you are, because you are. You're a miserable failure in many ways. Just ask someone that knows you well. You don't measure up to the, the perfection of Christ. None of us do. I most certainly do not. But if you are a struggling Christian that just thinks you don't amount to anything, you're right. You're not very good. But that's not what the message is about this morning. It's not about you. It's about Jesus Christ and his righteousness. And it's about what God has done on the cross through Jesus Christ. And that's what we want to get excited about, whether you're a confident or a struggling Christian about this. And that's what's going to take, make the difference for you eternally. It is because of what Jesus has done is what is going to bring us the whole way home to glory. Not because of how good you are or how not good you are. We need to get our eyes off of ourselves this morning and lift them up to the glory of God, to the love of Jesus Christ, and sit back and say, Hallelujah, Jesus, thank you. I am so undeserving. Thank you for being with me yesterday. Thank you for being with me today. And I believe you will be with me tomorrow. I know you will see me through to the very end. See, when I was uh, in my teens... Is, is the most vivid, and it continues to this day. But I remember my teens as the, the carnality of my flesh was still very, very strong. And sanctification wasn't going very well at all. And I failed a lot. And not being very confident that I was going to make it. I don't remember vividly struggling with feelings of lostness, but just struggling. And... Uh, I remember, I think it was in my 20s, after some of those struggles had subsided, after some victories had been gained, after I no longer was in the midst of that turmoil, remembering back to those days and the, the truth dawning on my heart that Jesus never left me. He never left me in the midst of the pit of that struggle because if he had, would I be here today? No. Did I pull myself through that pit on my own? No. It was because of the love of Jesus Christ and, and his, his not giving up on me. It dawned on me as the only reason that I came through. And it gave me such joy to know that's how much Jesus loved me. 
And it also gives me joy because I know that's how much he loves me today. And that if I live to be 100 years old, the only way I'm going to make it is because he's going to continue to love me the whole way through. Because I can't make it on my own. It's not possible. Okay, let's move on. Verse 12. We're going to get into this uh, illustration. Now we're going to draw a contrast between Adam and Jesus Christ. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies that ye wait. See, now we're in sanctification. Okay, so you know what? Look back to chapter 5, verse 12. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world. But sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned, after the similitude of Adam's transgression who is the figure of him that was to come. But not as the offense, so also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. And not as it was by one that sinned, so is the gift. For the judgment was by one to condemnation, but the free gift is, by of, many, is of many offenses unto justification. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which received abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. I, uh, here in Romans, have been doing this frequently, illustrating, because uh, I, I needed to have it make sense to me. I just wouldn't understand it. And so I'm hoping to uh, help all of us to uh, understand. But we have two men. The man Adam and the man God, Jesus Christ, contrasted here. We know the disobedience and the sin of Adam that brought sin and death upon all mankind. All men. No one is exempt of the seed of Adam other than Jesus Christ. All men are under sin and are... um, will die. We know that, right? Okay? Then he talks about the grace in similar fashion as the sin and death flowed out of Adam to his descendants. Life and righteousness flows out of Jesus Christ through his obedience. As he was obedient to the death under the cross. Life and righteousness, the grace, what is grace? It is the power of God. To do the will of God, that power that emanates out of God into the life of the believers. Now we understand if we, as we people look at time, that Adam happened way back here, and the cross happens way up here, and there was a lot of people that uh, lived and died before the cross ever happened. But the way I see it is that this grace flows out in every direction through every age, past, present, and future. It's like a powerful radiating beam coming from the Jesus Christ given the possibility of life and righteousness, but there's another big difference here that it isn't to everyone. It wasn't given upon all men where God just indiscriminately forgave all the sins that ever happened and completely made saints out of every sinner whether they wanted to or not. 
this relationship to access this faith, this grace, this grace is only through faith. The gift of righteousness is only to those who receive it by faith. By faith alone. Only to those who agree with God that they are sinners and they need a Savior. And that Savior is Jesus Christ. But when that happens, that powerful grace animates out to all times and nations. So I believe, and I, I think I'm correct on this, that Abraham back here was a recipient of Jesus Christ's grace because he believed, he had faith that God had the answer. See, God isn't hindered by time like we are. This is stuff that hurts my head, but I like thinking about it every so often because it's, it's good, I think. I don't understand it all. Okay, let's keep moving here because the clock is as well. Um, okay, let's think about righteousness a little bit. It says the gift of righteousness. Now, like I said, we're not in sanctification. And we do believe there is an, an, an effort that is needed on our part. And I believe the Bible teaches it. But here it's described as the gift of righteousness. It's not a work. When weak men believe by faith in Jesus, he imparts his grace, his power into our lives that enables us to live a righteous life. Because we couldn't live a righteous life on our own. So I think sometimes the mistake we made, back to my illustration, we've become born again. And then we say, now I've got to be a good person. Because I know all the other born again are good people, so I'm going to have to be a good people too. And so I want to do my level best to be a good person, and it's really hard, and it doesn't work very well. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible says that when his grace is shed abroad in our hearts, that he imparts to us the gift of righteousness. And when we see good works coming out of our hearts, when we see fruit coming forth, I wanted to, I, Lamar said good things, but you know the strawberry, if it ain't attached to the roots, or the vine, Jesus uses the vine, John chapter 50, 15, 1 to 5, we are the branch, and the branch ain't attached to Jesus Christ, the vine, there ain't no grapes coming out. We've got to receive and pull and receive the energy from Jesus Christ, the grace, to bring forth good fruit. I like Matthew 11, 28 to 30, it says, Come unto me, all ye that are labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, learn of me. For I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Yes, indeed, there is a yoke in the Christian life. But we don't do it on our own. We're in the yoke with Jesus Christ, and his grace empowers us to become who he wants us to be. We don't do it on our own. Sin and grace contrasted in 5, 18 to 21. Kind of going down along the same theme. We're going to pull a little different things out. Therefore, as by the offense of one judgment came upon all men to condemnation... Even so, by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Therefore the law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. That as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. Here's a problem. The problem is sinners, lost ones, who don't feel lost. Is that a problem in this world? 
Are there people who are not right with God that don't see themselves as having a problem? Absolutely. Many. Millions. Here's another problem. Is saints who don't feel saved. Is that a problem? I believe it is. Because the reason I believe it is a problem because we have an enemy. An enemy of every living human being. His name is Satan. And he is always busy talking to sinners, convincing them that they're just fine. You really don't have a problem. You're okay. You're not as bad as they may say, especially not as bad as Christians act like you are. You're okay. As soon as that sinner would decide to become a saint and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved, what does Satan's tactic change to? You miserable Christian, you. Who do you think you are thinking you're going to make it to heaven? Look what you have done. Look who you are. Look what you continue to be. I mean, yeah, maybe you were born again, but... What did you do yesterday? You're not fit to enter into the glories of God. That's what he's doing. He's our enemy. He's the enemy of our soul. He's the enemy of every living being, soul, whether they're sinner or saints. In some way, shape, or form, he wants to destroy the work of God in their heart. So, Paul spent five chapters helping every living person understand all men are under sin. He said, you've got to get to that point, whether you've been religious all your life, whether you're a Mennonite or a Jew, or whoever you think you are, you've got to understand that you are a sinner in need of something more than you have to offer. You're in need of Satan. And he brings us to an understanding of the mighty work that has been done through Jesus Christ and that grace that can be accessed by faith into each one of our hearts. Do you this morning, you as a Christian, understand and believe the marvelous work of grace that has been accomplished by Jesus Christ on the cross that as pertains to you personally? Do you understand and believe that that grace that was accomplished on the cross through Jesus Christ is much more than the power of sin through Satan and death? Do you understand that when God sent his love through his only begotten son on the cross, it was like a mighty atomic explosion upon the face of this earth that destroyed the works of the devil completely. The battle has been won. There is no question about the order of things anymore. Yes, we understand that sin and death continue. And because this has been by choice, by faith. And we have evidence of that sin both in our own lives and in lives all around us. And uh, that, that sin is so evident at times in my own life and life around us, we forget the power of God's grace through Jesus Christ. But brothers and sisters, that when you and I agree with God, that I'm a needy person, whether I'm already saved or not. But I just deep in my heart, you might have been saved for 20 years. And things aren't going well, you're discouraged, you're down low. And we stop and think about what Jesus has done on the cross, the completeness of his work, 
And what that means for me today, we can rejoice. Because we know that the power of that grace unleashed through the cross, through Jesus Christ, is much more than the power of sin still at work in this world and in my life. And I can rest with full assurance and peace that passes all understanding because I have a right with God, not because of who I am, what I've done, or what I am today, but because of what, who Jesus Christ is and my relationship with him through faith. Because I have agreed deep down in my heart that what God says in his word is true. In conclusion, I want to draw three points. The first one is, this morning, if you are a sinner, if you um, do not believe on the Lord Jesus Christ this morning, if you have never yielded that deep within your heart, saying, yes, I'm a sinner that needs a Savior, and that Savior is Jesus Christ. Do not delay. Today is the chance. Today is the day that we can simply, by faith, believe on Jesus Christ. And that miracle of grace is going to explode in your life. And you're going to be taken from a sinner lost to a saved saint. Not because of who you are, but because of what Jesus has done through his power, because of God's love and his righteousness will come upon you like a miracle. That's the first thing. Salvation full and free to all those who believe. And I want to invite you into that. I want to plead with you if you're able to understand that. If God is talking to you, to simply respond. It's not complicated. It doesn't take a high education. It simply takes an understanding and agreeing with God. If you have someone that you can talk to, feel free to do that. It can be really helpful. Secondly, this morning, if you are saved, you have made that decision, you have um, believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, you've repented of your sins, but your life has been a struggle. You look at your performance and you realize it, it falls short of the glory of God. You have doubts. You, have, you're, you don't feel saved. You question, am I, am I, uh, how can I be saved? Because I feel so bad. I feel so not right. I want to invite you to stop looking at yourself. Stop thinking about your personal performance. And lift your eyes upon Jesus Christ and his completed work on the cross the mighty power through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, that it is available to all men, and, but you need to make it personal, and it is available to me, and that it is, can, I can apply it to my account because of, of who he is, and that my standing with God is based upon his work, his righteousness, not on my own, and that I can have peace with God because of what Jesus has done on the cross by his mighty power and grace of God. Now, you want to understand that next sermons, and you won't be hearing them, we're going to get into sanctification, and you can leave here and say, Nate's way off base, and he's three-quarters communist, whatever. Excuse me if you want to. We're going to get into the practical side of life. We need to. But if we don't get this part right, 
you will, you will find sanctification not to work very well at all. If the core of your being questions if you're even saved, it doesn't work. It does not work. We need to start here. We need to understand that our foundation rests upon not my performance, but upon the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Out of that power, out of that gift is when our lives start transforming, when something really starts happening. We may even become amazing Christians, but once we're an amazing Christian, we see God as he's done in our life. You know what we're going to say? We're going to say, praise the Lord, I can't believe this happened in my life. I know it wasn't me. I know that somehow, as I followed Jesus, he made a difference. I used to smoke, drink, swear. No, no, I didn't actually. But I was bad enough on my own right. Right. And maybe uh, years later, I say, you know what? I don't do those things anymore. You're not going to be like, hmm, wow, what a work Nate did. You're going to say, what a work Jesus Christ did in my heart and life. Thirdly, last point. If you are a Christian this morning, and you have been born again, and you realize what a mighty miracle God has wrought in your life, you're holding a tremendous secret, a tremendous thing inside of your breast. You're holding this only secret that can make a difference in this old world. You know more than President Biden does. You know more than the United Nations does. You know more than all the people involved in the Ukrainian war because you know this only secret that can make the difference to change lives. And I'm speaking to myself this morning because I go out in this world and I know that secret. I know I know that secret, but it just stays right hidden in that breast way too much. And I meet people and I know they're perishing. I know they're lost. And sometimes I just don't even tell them about the powerful thing that I know. And I want to challenge myself and I want to plead with you that, that, that we, we share. We get so excited. See, if we as Christians are uh, over here dithering about where Satan has us questioning our own salvation, we're like... Um, I don't know if I'm really saying, are we going to tell it to anybody? See, that's why Satan wants to keep us there. He's like tripping us up all the time. We're just stumbling along. I don't know if I'm going to make it. I don't know if I'm going to. It's all about me. It's all about me. We forget about me, and we start looking at Jesus Christ, and we get excited about what God has done for me. Now I can turn to others and say, you know, it's not about me, and I don't, I'm actually not that great a person to look at, but I'm going to tell you about my Jesus and what he has done for me. Because it, it just burns in my heart. It just gets me fired up about what Jesus has done. And I want to do that, brothers. I'm confessing to you that I'm not doing good enough. And I want to challenge myself and challenge you to, to allow this miracle to, to rest upon me continually in such a way that it would flow out in a passion to those who don't know Jesus. Today, but especially tomorrow, right, Derwin, when we're in the shop? When I'm out in the woods talking to the neighbor or wherever God places you or to our very own children at home, um, that they would say, you know, you know what's, what's that light burning inside of you? What, what makes you happy? Well, I want to tell you about Jesus. Shall we, uh, shall we bow our heads in prayer? Father.